Hello and welcome back to Lead in the Field, the podcast where I, Simon Phillips, meet some amazing people and find out how they've tackled some of the challenges and changes they've faced throughout their careers so that we can all learn something and be inspired, probably. I suspect that's going to happen today. So I'd love to introduce to you Linda Edwards, the Chief Exec of Education for Health. Linda, you and I have known each other for a while now and I've been dying to get you onto the show. So thank you for making some time and being available today to record this. So how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. And I'm really looking forward to us having this conversation. You never quite know what's going to emerge when you have these conversations. (laughs) I I promise I'll only keep the tricky questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So Linda, obviously, I've introduced you as the Chief Exec of of Education for Health, but maybe tell the, the listeners, the viewers a little bit more about you just so they can get a sense of who they're listening to today. Okay, so um, I've been working in and around the NHS for probably more years than uh, I care to to talk about. But I started my career very early on as a podiatrist back in the day when there weren't many of us um, and specialised in biomechanics. But then I thought, well, there's something else out there. These things could be done a bit differently. So I moved into general management in the NHS became a chief exec of a couple of organisations, a regional director, and then I got introduced to something called coaching, which I have to say transformed my life and enabled me to look at things really differently. That then resulted in me running my own business and travelling the world for 13 years, living with indigenous cultures, understanding, trying to understand what made them different from us in the way that they led their communities. Absolutely amazing period of time. I did my PhD in behavioural psychology at the same time, and they featured very heavily in in that work. You know, you know, I'm not going to just let you carry on there, don't you? So come on, <laughs> tell us. Maybe there's a story attached to it, or maybe there's just some headlines. Tell us a little bit more about that work or that time that you spent with those indigenous communities. Well, I've always been very drawn to being out in nature and being I guess it sounds a bit kind of flaky but being connected to the world around us and by that I mean the natural world and I was quite Mm. fortunate in some of my exploration around behavioural psychology to be introduced to some amazing um, indigenous leaders. Uh, Wong Kahuna, Uncle George for instance in Hawaii was this tiny little bird-like man but he had such a presence about him that people always listened and Mm. the group of people that he lived with all seemed to live more harmoniously than we did in the world without as much as as we've got. And so Uncle George was the start of my journey, I think really, into, well, if it works for the kahunas and the indigenous Hawaiian people, what other cultures around the world do what? And how could I bring all of that together to learn so that I could share the key tenets of that with with other people, assuming I came back. I did rather reluctantly come back, but uh, I could have probably spent the rest of my life living around and working with with those people. So I spent time with the um, Tuareg going across the Sahara. I spent time in the Amazon jungle with two or three different tribes. I spent a lot of time with Native American elders during my time in the States and had one of their national leaders, Howard Badhands, became my teacher for a period of time. 
So he introduced me to the value of sweat lodges and I even tried ayahuasca in the Amazon jungle. So yes, it, it opened me up to all sorts of things. It sounds like it. So what's a sweat lodge? I haven't heard of that before. Oh, haven't you? It's, um, well, they call the Native Americans tend to call them anipis and it's a, a structure that's made normally out of willows. So they're like a little tent or an mm. igloo that's made out of uh, willow that has a fire pit in the middle and it's covered in blankets or it used to be covered in animal hides and it's okay. a sacred, it's a bit like going into a womb, that's the idea. So right. they create a small passageway outside where at the end of which is a fire where they heat rocks to a really mm. high temperature and the fire keeper will bring the rocks gradually one by one into the sweat lodge where the people who want to be healed or get some insight sit in a circle so it forms the circle of life yeah and so when the the person who's leading the NEP opens the flap a rock come a red hot rock comes in it gets pretty hot in there i can tell you after about 12 <laughs> of these rocks and 12 rounds of people saying how that how they felt or what was going on for them as a result you end up getting extraordinarily hot. Um, wow. So it's like the best sauna you've ever had, but within the context <laughs> of uh, Native American chanting. And so yep. it's a very spiritual process and everybody feels differently when they come out. Stunning. And if you were to think about all those different communities, were there some threads that you felt bound them in terms of from a, mm. our Western perspective, if you like? What was yeah. it that you observed that that felt very different and good about what they how they lived? Well, all of them, all of the leaders uh, in every single culture that I spent time with, they kind of held the energy for the group or for their right. community. So they were a source of wisdom, but their wisdom was a bit like coaching. Actually, it was not them giving the answer to the people, but helping the people to find the answer within themselves right and the other key thing was all around healing because every single one of the medicine people or leaders actually had their own method of healing or helping people to heal themselves um, yeah. and 99 percent of it was psychological and therefore their coaching and support helped people find whatever it was inside of themselves to heal the mental emotional thing that was bothering them. But the biggest thing they taught me, and I think it's it's huge for anybody who's working with other people, is to get yourself out of the way. It's not about it's not about them, it's about the person that they're working with and they put all of their energy and all of their focus on working with that person to get what's needed for that person. So basically yeah putting every preconception and every judgment to one side and just working with the individual to get the best result. So from a personal perspective, as opposed to your practice of you know, leadership and coaching, what stayed with you? Are there any little practices that you've maintained ever since? There's a process, I, I get up very early in the morning. Anybody who knows me really well knows that I get up at five, six o'clock in the morning and I always go outside and just sit or stand in the winter when it's a bit cold so, uh, on the ground just to kind of ground myself ready for the day yeah and it's a you know it only takes a few minutes but it makes a huge difference and if i don't do that i don't feel grounded for the rest of the day and what are, what are the potential benefits of feeling grounded then what, what does that enable you to do 
when it, bring, it pulls all your energy together into one place rather than, you know, when we have really frantic days and we're trying to juggle 60,000 things, it feels all at the same time. Just a bit of time grounding brings it all in and helps helps you hold that energy so that you can use it effectively rather than it being scattered here, there and everywhere, which happens when we have those frantic days yeah. which is why i always encourage people take a few minutes go outside sit and breathe do whatever it is you need to do just to bring your focus and your consciousness back to the present and back into you so that you can then focus on what you need to focus on love it so i interrupted you you were going through the timeline and <laughs> sort of ex explaining you know how things developed so where where did you get to we got to me coming back to the UK, I think. And at that point in time, it was, I didn't want to go back into mainstream NHS, mm. I want, but I still wanted to be able to help people who are working within healthcare. So I decided to explore the charity sector and spent a bit of time at both Asthma and Diabetes UK and yeah. Age UK. I was chairman of Age UK locally for a while. And then, mm. Education for Health popped up and I thought, gosh, this gives me the ideal opportunity to bring together my passion for healthcare with education and training to help support the people who were doing the things I used to do on a day in, day out basis, but under probably a lot more pressure than when I first started out. Yeah, that's, that's what I've been noticing in recent years, because like you, as you know, I've been in and around healthcare for quite some time and the, the ramp up of the everyday pressures has been astonishing for some people. And to be doing the work that you're doing, knowing that that will impact the way people deal with that challenge, as well as sort of helping them with their job and helping them move forward. But just that, how do we cope with the sheer volume of, of responsibilities that we've now got in healthcare is, is an amazing challenge just in itself, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. And, and unfortunately, when there's pressure on, it's the one thing that gives. Training is seen as a luxury or rather than something that really helps people to do their job effectively and to stay healthy and well at the same time. Yeah, I think we're going to have to relabel it because we're not really training them anymore. Are we? It's, it's almost like life support sometimes. You know, we're going to have to think of something that just reframes it in the minds of the, the people who are making these decisions around how they're going to support their staff. Because if, as you say, it's not training that sort of moves them forward in increments, it's stuff that helps them reflect on the whole thing, um, which, you know, as, as you and I have seen, it, that, that starts to make a shift for them and, and the ability, the resilience, if you like, to be able to cope with everything increases magnificently. So for yeah. me, it's around how we facilitate people in, in being the yeah. best they can be in, on many, many levels. Yeah. And I think because if we look and work with people in a holistic way, it's the impact can be positive across the whole of their life rather than you know, people when they yeah. come to me for coaching often will say, well, I thought I was coming because I had this difficult problem at work. But actually, it's more about me and the whole of the way I interact with the people around me at home and, and at work which is lovely actually to get yeah. the benefits from that. No, absolutely. Ah, brilliant. So education for health then, what's the, you know, what's the vision currently? What are you hoping to do as chief exec? Where are you hoping to take them? Well, we're coming, we're entering into our third year of our strategy, which is around how we can begin to demonstrate the impact 
education, training, coaching, support can have on health outcomes. Um, because mm. the new, thankfully, one of the key priorities in the NHS now is to improve health outcomes. Yeah. And it can be done quite simply. I think part of the problem is it sounds very, very challenging, but it can be done in very small steps. Mm. Uh, and I think working with healthcare professionals, helping them to demonstrate the impact their interventions has, is not only good for the people that they work with, but it's also good for them because they can see the progress that, that they're making. Um, yeah. So that's going to be our focus for the next two to three years, at least to really work with people to demonstrate that they get a, a fabulous return on investment by actually doing some training. Well, it's, it's not just teaching, I don't know, Audrey to go and you know, become a better paediatric asthma nurse. It's more about helping mm. her to grow and develop so that she can grow and develop her patients to help them manage more. So person-centered care is probably the theme, I think. Yeah, magic. And um, I mean, I've met quite a few of your colleagues along the way and I know how dedicated everybody is to to bringing all this to life so what have been the um, you know some of the biggest moments for you in terms of you know highs of, of working there when you think about the, the, some of the colleagues that you're working with I mean I think one of the biggest highs was surviving the pandemic to be honest mm. because if you think about it when the pandemic hit the pressure on people who were on the front line was massive. They had no headspace, no nothing to invest in themselves and their own development. They were just living from day to day on this kind of continual cycle. Um, and therefore yeah. we had no income. Hmm. And the fact that we actually got through, we put a lot of people on furlough, 80% of the team were unfortunately furloughed. But by doing that, we were able to keep things ticking along so that when things open back up again, we could look at what we were doing. And we made a massive transition in that period of 18 months, two years of moving all of our materials so it could be done in this environment yeah. with dedicated support from tutors and other key people in the team to enable people to have the support and the learning at a time and a, and a place and a pace actually that worked mm. for them um, and that's continuing I mean we do a small number of face-to-face -face programs but most of them are in this kind of virtual environment our key though is enabling that people to be supported so you don't just get a piece of e-learning you get a lot of dedicated support from the team to help you on a day-to-day -day basis so I think I think the team did a fantastic job and I'm really proud of what they managed to pull off. So it's lovely now that we've got a bit of freedom and we can be a bit more creative and working with people in the wider NHS system to create support infrastructure that helps more people. Yeah, absolutely. So I am interested to know how you deal with it as chief exec. So one of the big impacts of the pandemic was the introduction of hybrid working. So I know whilst you had some people out on furlough, you also had a lot of people, you know, working from home remotely and then coming in at, you know, as and when required, if you like. But I'm imagining that since the pandemic, you haven't necessarily gone back to everybody in the office and that, you know, that hybrid process is continuing. So how has that affected you as chief exec? And what's the impact you're noticing on 
the people in the organization and their ability to still thrive in what is a very different environment for them. It's been an interesting journey, aren't they, always, mm. when you make a significant change like this. I mean, the way that when we decided it was time to get back together, there are huge advantages of working in this virtual environment, um, but there are also some downsides. So the collaboration, mm. people would try to do it, but actually sitting down having a cup of coffee and chewing over an issue in a room is much more productive um, and so the way that we started to do that was um, by having a collaboration day one day a week where everybody from across the organization came in in it for a core period mm. as we opted for 9 30 to 3 30 so everybody would be together and it was an opportunity for everybody to mix that has actually worked very well a number of people were a bit afraid of coming back into the office yeah and therefore we needed we worked quite carefully together to get to the point where Wednesdays are now seen in the main as a really great day to get together with people that you need to kind of problem solve or run a project or you know, whatever it is we need to do yeah now at a place I think where all of the evidence and research has been done shows that actually having people in an office environment two to three days a week is good for their mental health and their physical well-being so we'll be looking at how we move more in that direction to be fair there's a couple of teams that are in a couple of days a week anyway um, but yeah. I think it's to add another day will be probably the next step. But I don't think we'll be going any further than that because quieter time at home enables people to get their head down and get things done. But equally, hmm. down talking to people, working through projects, looking at you know, mapping out something together um, also has its benefits. Well, has it changed the way you try to lead? I've wondered about that, actually. And I did wonder about it in the early days of, of lockdown because it was the stress levels and everybody was, was so high. But I think what it showed was if we work together, mm. then actually we could overcome it. And so it hasn't radically changed my style, but I think it's added a new dimension to it. What would that be? It helped me to read people better in this environment. <laughs> So, which is quite interesting because I, I do my coach, a lot of my coaching in this environment and actually yeah. you can see what's going on with people just as well in this environment on a one-on-one -on -one as you can actually face-to-face. -face. You can even see how they're breathing in this environment, which uh, yeah. is, is always something that um, I wondered whether you would be able to achieve, but no, it's, uh, it works very well. Yeah, I, and I'd agree with that as well because what I've noticed is when people are co-located individuals sometimes within those teams can feel a little bit unseen mm. but if you're an active proactive manager leader you reach out to individuals and quite often you are just having those one-to-one -one conversations so it's enhanced the, the working experience for for many people who were maybe part of bigger teams and were, never had any time any solo time if you like with their mm. with their boss so um yeah no, I, I think that's uh it is an interesting development and i'm sure it's gonna continue to evolve and who knows we might all be uh with with the you know augmented reality and all the rest of it we might still feel like we're actually in a room again but who knows <laughs> magic well we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and let people stretch their legs go and get grounded outside and then come back and listen to the to the rest of the show so thanks linda we'll be right back okay thanks 
Welcome back. I'm here with the wonderful Linda Edwards, Chief Exec of Education for Health. A fascinating conversation before the break, as you know, all about Linda's career, which has been, well, amazing to spend all that time with all of those indigenous populations around the world, but seeing the commonality. And I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's all one big human spirit and it's how we navigate that process and, and you know, travel the road and all the rest of it. So um, thank you for sharing some of that. So what's ahead, Linda? I mean, I know that you are an extremely ambitious chief exec and I know that you've got big plans for education for health, but what sort of things can the listener expect maybe over the next few months? What's coming up? We're doing some exciting work around primary care at the moment. I talked, alluded to it a bit earlier about how we can demonstrate health improvements Mm. um, which is always a a challenge for people in busy general practice so we've created a suite of tools that very very simple that will help them they can plug it into their emis or the system one or their vision system and uh, create a profile of their practice around one of the key areas around diabetes cardiovascular disease asthma copd obesity Mm. and look at the profile of their population and identify the key people therefore that they can target to bring in and support i did something similar to this when i was working at diabetes uk and it was really easy to identify in this profile which people hadn't been in for their annual check which people's hba1c had gone out of kilter and to just target those few people and quite often it was only 20 or 30 people in a practice which makes it really yeah. doable and then they can mm. reprofile rerun the tool a few months down the line and see how things have improved nice and also within that it really helps practices to understand you know which, is, which are the most important areas to target here? You can't do it all at once. Which are going mm. to be the easy wins and get on and actually start to make some, some progress? So that's all being refreshed and will be going live over the next couple of months, which is really exciting. Um, we've got... Some- I love that. I love that because those little wins create some momentum, don't they? Mm, absolutely. And there's a sense of achievement and people all of a sudden, that you know, start looking around them. What else can we do? So I... I I love the way you've thought that through because quite often with technology and with these types of innovations, they go sort of like big, Mm. big bang straight away and it can just feel overwhelming and people don't actually make the progress that they're making. So I love that approach. Well, there's lots of really, really complex ways to profile a practice, but you know, I know general practice, everybody's so busy, unless you've got somebody who's extra passionate about numbers and looking at yeah. you're not going to get they're not going to work and people will be overwhelmed so that's why we made the decision to keep it simple and we yes. alongside that if we do it across a primary care network area or a, a wider ICS we can start to identify best practice across that area and share that best practice across practices that everybody can benefit um, from other people, which is something that I think has got quite a lot of legs. So we're quite excited about that. And the other probably, for me personally, quite important thing is uh, sadly our co-chairman passed away two years ago, Ursula Gallagher, and she was really passionate about developing people and education. We've set up a bursary pot for um, Ursula based around postgraduate education, which is something that she was really passionate about. So in the autumn, Mm. we will be releasing 
opportunities for people to apply for a bursary for a postgraduate certificate, which is something that would have been very dear to Ursula's heart. So that gives me huge pleasure to be able to do that. Brilliant. So how can people find out more or get in touch? I think it'll be going live on the website next month. So the process will be clear and on the website from next month. So I just encourage people to have a look and search for bursaries on the Education for Health website. Excellent. Okay. And we'll make sure we put the link for the website in the notes as well. So if you're if you're listening to this, have a check out the notes and um, and click through from there. That I mean that sounds amazing. I bet you're really excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Linda, as you know, nobody gets out of this show alive without telling us what's the track that inspires them that we can add to the leading the field playlist so what's it for you something inside so strong by lappy Supri, and play it full blast when you're driving along <laughs> yeah it's just a stunning song isn't it i i had the absolute um pleasure to see him perform that live and it was only a very small venue up near manchester around about the time that it came out and yeah it was almost enhanced by the fact that it was a relatively small venue because his voice reverberated around that and all the heckles on your neck was coming out it's just it's so so inspirational isn't it yeah absolutely it kind of hits me in the chest it's brilliant (laughs) wonderful Linda, thank you so much for um, taking some time out. I know you know you've got so much going on right now, and so it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and and hear some of the great plans you've got as well. So um, thank you for that. Take good care, and we will hopefully catch up again soon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks, Linda. So that was it. Leading the field with Simon Phillips and my special guest, Linda Edwards from Education for Health, of course. Okay, have a great week and we'll see you back here next time.